0: Hello, Channel Pros. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Rob Spee, the host of Channel Journeys. Well, this is it, the last episode of Channel Journeys for 2022. And I thought I'd make this one a fun one by sharing a story of something I love doing outside of the channel. I've told two other sailing stories. There was episode 60, A Sailing Journey Through COVID, and episode 75, Sailing the Bermuda High. For this episode, number 105, I'm going to tell you about a sailing adventure I went on this past October with three buddies of mine, we charted a 40-foot catamaran for a seven-day exploration of the U.S. and Spanish Virgin Islands. Before we get into that story, I wanna give a huge thanks and shout out to Allbound who have been the sponsor of Channel Journeys all year long. If you're setting up a new partner portal or swapping an old one, you need to check them out. Allbound is the maker of a world-leading partner portal That many vendors rely on to manage their diverse partner ecosystems. With Allbound, you can manage your dealers and master agents, your VARs and distributors, your alliance partners, and even your system integrators. Allbound is fast and easy to set up, and their user interface makes it really easy on partners to collaborate with you on co-selling and co-marketing as they're ramping up on things like training and certifications. So be sure to check them out at allbound.com. Okay, grab your eggnog or your coffee and eggnog, that's my favorite, and get ready for my Christmas special Caribbean catamaran cruising. Let's go. Before I fell in love with Blue Water Sailing, I fell in love with my wife, which led to our first sailing trip together. We spent 10 days sailing the British Virgin Islands on our honeymoon on a 35-foot monohull sailboat along with her brother and his girlfriend. We got to know all the favorite stops in the BVI, the caves on Norman Island, the baths, the bitter end on Virgin Gorda, so many great stops. And of course, everyone's favorite, the Soggy Dollar Bar on Joost Van Dyke, home of the famous painkiller. I've made a lot of trips back to the BVI, and in fact, I'm going back again with my family this April. If you've never been sailing in the BVI, I highly recommend it. Even if you have to hire a captain, it's so worth it. Or better yet, sign up for a sailing class in the BVI. We've always chartered monoholes, but this time I decided to book a catamaran, knowing that my wife would love the comfort and the fact that the boat doesn't heel over like a monohole, something that she's never liked. I love it. I was feeling pretty confident that I could manage sailing a 40-foot catamaran, but my wife wasn't so sure. So one day she threw out a suggestion. She goes, hey, Rob, why don't you go sailing on a catamaran with some of your buddies just to make sure you know what you're doing? Well, not being one to argue, I, of course, immediately started calling friends and lined up a crew for a fall sailing adventure. Now, while October is still hurricane season, that was the only time we could all sail. And we figured we could always postpone the trip if we saw a hurricane in the forecast, right? So I book a 40-foot cat from Caribbean Yacht Charters in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I picked the USVI because it's a lot easier to get to, and I've always wanted to explore the U.S. Islands as well as the Spanish Virgins, which are a group of islands stretching west over to Puerto Rico. I spend months reading the cruising guides to plot our course, pick out the best anchorages, with excitement building the closer we get. My crew consists of a sailing buddy, Ed, who I met on the sailing journey through COVID, where we sailed from St. Thomas to Newport, Rhode Island. He owns his own software company, loves sailing and fishing, and, and we've always stayed in touch ever since that sail. Joining us are two local cycling buddies of mine, Ben and Barron, who I got to know even better cycling across Iowa last summer in the big RAGBRAI ride. Ben, he's a retired sales executive and a sailor who recently sailed the BVI on a cataran, but he had a paid captain taking him and his family around on a really big cat. And Baron is, the, is a former Olympic kayaker from South Africa who moved to the U.S., uh, loves cycling, and all of us, we're all keen to learn how to sail a cat. We even take an online catamaran sailing course on this great platform that I recommend called Nautic Ed. And I've got a feeling that the four of us are going to have a lot of fun together. As the date for our sail closes in, we start wondering if we're going to even be able to go, though. Hurricane Ian is gaining strength in the Caribbean and heading for Florida. Our sailing grounds aren't really at risk because Ian is passing well south of the Virgin Islands, but as Ian is slamming into Florida, it's predicted to head up to Georgia next, which could impact our flights out. Now, while having to delay our sailing trip would have been disappointing, what's really devastating is seeing Sanibel Island, my favorite place on earth, being devastated by the massive storm surge that's hitting the island. Ian's course, though, moves further east and we have no problem flying out of Atlanta. We've got our fingers crossed for Ed, though, who's flying from Tennessee and making a connection in in Charlotte, which is right in Ian's path. We have an easy and quick three-hour flight to St. Thomas. I've got a great window view as we approach the island, and I can see some of the Spanish Virgin Islands, where we'll later be sailing, off to the west. Two years ago when I landed at this airport, I was greeted by medical staff taking temperatures and doing COVID tests, so what a relief it is to enter without any signs of the pandemic. We find Ed waiting for us at the bar. He's got all his gear, including two big tubes with his brand new fishing rod. So we know we're going to get serious about some fishing. After gathering our bags, we find our driver that Dream Yacht Charters sent over to meet us. They make it super easy to get to the base where we check in, have our first round of painkillers, and walk out on the dock to meet our home for the week. She's a beautiful 40-foot fountain Peugeot named Quadra Jeepy. We pick our own cabins and we store our gear. And then next, Baron and I are going to head to the store for provisioning. And this is the really fun part where you get to load up on all the necessities and learn that rum is actually cheaper than bottled water in the Caribbean. The next morning, we're all eager to get going, but before heading out, we have to do a walkthrough with Dream Yachts to learn all about the systems and how they work. Then they top off the water tanks, and finally, around 11 a.m., it's time to cast off the lines. Now, I've sailed up to 65-foot monohulls, but it's a bit intimidating taking the helm of a 40-foot cat for the first time, which is twice as wide as the monohull. The great thing about catamarans, though, is that with twin engines, you can turn on a dime just by pushing the two throttles in opposite directions, one forward and one reverse. So using that trick, I ease us away from the dock, take us down a narrow channel, and it feels like the boat's skating on ice, and we head out into open water. Now, it's just the four of us, and we've got a full week to explore the islands and practice all the things we learned about on the online training course. The very first thing we do is raise the mainsail, cut the engines, and head for our first destination, which is a small protected bay on the rugged south shore of St. John. One of the first things I noticed sailing to St. John is that the cat doesn't track as easily as a monohull. With a monohull, you can find a groove where the sails, keel, and rudder are all balanced and super easy to hold a straight line. A catamaran, though, has a very shallow draft, and the motion is super different. Fortunately, Quadrigibi has a nice autopilot that takes care of this for us. Ed breaks out his fishing poles and gets his lures in the water to test out his gear. I've also got my hand line that I used when I almost landed a big tuna on that approach to Newport two years ago, and this time I've got to get a fish on board. Lemshire Bay, where we're headed, is completely empty of boats as we approach to grab a mooring ball, something that we'll enjoy all week, no crowds. Apparently there aren't many people brave enough or maybe stupid enough to come sailing during the hurricane season. We're successful in our first attempt at picking up the mooring, using all those tips we learned online, and we're all quickly in the water, snorkeling around the bay, still letting the reality of where we're at really soak in. While flying down, I sat next to a couple from California who have a house on St. Thomas. They know the islands and said, we just have to go try the tacos at a floating taco bar in Coral Bay. So we cut loose from our mooring and head around a big rocky point to get there. It starts out as a pretty nice sail, but the wind dies down and we we end up motor sailing into Coral Bay. One of the benefits of this off-season is that there's no competition for moorings or spots to anchor. But the downside is that a lot of shops and restaurants are closed. We can see the green floating taco shack as we approach. We're all excited for our tacos, but are quickly disappointed to see that it's closed. No worries, we motor further into the bay and make our first attempt at anchoring. Now there's a fine art and definite science to anchoring. You've got to take into account the depth, the wind direction, what's on the seafloor, ideally sand and not rocks or seagrass, and then calculate how much chain to let out. Once again, the online learning combined with all my anchoring experience kicks in and we get it just right on our first try. I always like to check my anchor though, which is really easy in the Caribbean where you can dive in and just take a look. Our cat comes with a really nice dinghy that we drop into the water and use to go ashore for our first island adventure. We're greeted on St. John by a family of donkeys wandering around the island, chickens, and even a goat on the roof of a car. We find our way to one open restaurant with a great view of GP out in the bay. The fish tacos there are excellent, but we are getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. We'd all forgotten to bring our bug spray to shore, but fortunately a honeymoon couple there is next to us and they help us out with a, with a can of their own spray. We get back on the boat and in our bunks soon after the sun sets, and we're all super eager for our big sail in the morning to St. Croix. The course I've mapped out is basically a triangle. We'll head south about 40 miles to St. Croix. From there, we'll sail northwest about 45 miles to Calibra, and then it's about 15 miles back to St. Thomas. And we figure it'll take about eight hours of sailing to reach St. Croix, averaging six or seven knots and factoring in the time for landing all the big fish we no doubt will catch, right? Normally, people sailing in the Virgin Islands never stray too far, staying in the closely grouped islands where you're always in sight of land, but I was really eager to sail in the open water to St. Croix and test out the comfort and handling of the catamaran. We had perfect sailing conditions as we headed out the harbor at 8 a.m. with Ben frying up bacon and eggs. The trade winds are blowing a steady 10 knots out of the east, and we've got mild seas. We've got the fishing lines in the water before we even finished breakfast and and landed our first catch, a gorgeous mahi-mahi, by 11 a.m. That was the first of many fish we caught and we had plenty of fresh fish to eat all week. I chopped up half of the fish along with some onions and mango to make a fresh dish of ceviche. It only takes a few hours for the fish to cook by soaking it in lime and lemon juice in the refrigerator. Then as we approached the main town of Christiansted on St. Croix, a pot of dolphin entertained and escorted us to our final destination. It was so cool. Now, there's nothing like approaching a new island from the sea. First, you see the silhouette of the island, then start making out more details as you get closer. The harbor at Christianstead is very well marked with red and green buoys to help you stay off the reefs. We found a perfect spot to anchor just offshore, a short dinghy ride to the marina, and we were getting into our routine. Sail, fish, anchor, snorkel, mix up the rum drinks and fry up the fish. Not a bad life. Although you do have the occasional emergencies like running out of ice, a precious luxury on a sailboat, that led to another adventure of taking the dinghy ashore and walking what felt like several miles until we found a grocery store that was open. The next morning, we explored the historic town and fort built by the Danes over 300 years ago, and we learned how the U.S. purchased the Virgin Islands from Denmark back in 1917 during World War I. Over the coming days, we find ourselves anchored off one amazingly beautiful island after another with no one else in sight. Just off St. Croix is Buck Island, a small uninhabited island that was declared a national park back in 1961. Two-thirds of the island is surrounded by a reef that is a national monument, so we knew there would be a ton of coral and fish to check out. We drop anchor in the clear turquoise water off a gorgeous beach on the west side of the island, where we're protected from the easterly winds. After making sure the boat is secure, we jump in the dinghy and motor to the other side of the island to explore the underwater snorkeling trail. The seas are a bit rough, but we're soon distracted by the huge coral heads and endless variety of colorful fish. We even see some giant lobsters, and it takes all of our willpower not to grab up the big one for dinner. The next morning, we're awake by 6 a.m. for a cup of coffee and a mission to find the hiking trail over the island before making our big crossing over to the Spanish virgins. We swim ashore and are quickly attacked by another angry horde of mosquitoes. This time we're ready, though, with bug repellent, which keeps most of them at bay. Hiking along the shore to find the start of the trail, we pass loads of turtle tracks leading up to the shore to their nesting grounds. There must be hundreds of eggs buried in the sand. We finally find the trailhead and begin to hike up over the island, and we have great views of St. Croix and can even see the reef where we snorkeled. Heading down the other side, we work our way back to the beach where we can see Quadra Jeepie floating all alone, waiting to take us to Calibra. The next sail is just textbook perfect. We're on a starboard tack almost the entire way. The winds and seas are a bit stronger than on the passage south, and we hit 10 knots surfing down the waves. That doesn't sound like much, but it's pretty fast on a sailboat. We've got the tunes playing, lures are in the water, ice is in the cooler, so life's pretty good. The only fish we're able to land is this bloody Bonita. That's okay, we're planning to go ashore for dinner on Calibra anyway. I wasn't sure if I'd like sailing on a cat in open water, but so far i got to say I am loving it. Dream Yacht Charters has a 5 p.m. curfew, meaning they don't want you sailing at night. That's kind of a bummer, as I love night sailing, but it does make sense with the number of people who charter who aren't all that experienced. So our goal is to drop anchor in Ensenada Honda Harbor on the east end of Calibra by 5 p.m. We're sailing wing-on-wing straight to the big red number two buoy that marks the entrance to the deep harbor. Wing-on-wing is where you have the mainsail on one side of the boat and the headsail on the other. It's a lot of fun and works well when the wind is at your back. We decide to take down the sails just out of caution before heading into the harbor. Now, here's where I make a huge mistake. I take my eye off of where we're going to watch the guys drop the sails, and inadvertently, I get the wind on the backside of the mainsail, a big no-no. Suddenly, we do an accidental jibe, which can be really dangerous. The boom swings really quickly from one side to the other. It can knock you in the head or even knock you off the boat and cause a lot of damage. Fortunately, no one or nothing is hurt and we motor in, and our anchor is set just before 5 p.m. By then, we're all ready for a rum cocktail before heading ashore for dinner. Our next stop is Culabrita or Little Calibra, another uninhabited island I'd read great things about. On our short motor sail over the next morning, I catch two big barracuda on my hand line. Soon we've got our anchorage in sight, but it's only 11 a.m., so we decide to head out to sea for some extra sailing practice and more fishing. We're out of Mahi Mahi and are eager for more ceviche. We have to weave our way past a couple of big rocks. Now Ed's at the helm, and he reminds me not to micromanage him when I start telling him which way to go. He's got more sailing experience than I do and was once burned by a captain who led him to take a shortcut over flatpan shoals off the Hatteras coast. That resulted in a bent rudder and some expensive repairs. And I forgot about his prior experience and suggested he take a shortcut past the rocks. It looked deep enough to me, but Ed reminded me that the evening before, I encouraged him to be captain for the day. What a great reminder, just like in business, I've got to let go, trust my team, and not undercut their authority. One of the interesting things about a catamaran is reefing or taking in some of the sail to reduce power. With a monohull, you also reef as the wind picks up, but it's a bit more forgiving. A monohull will turn into the wind automatically, which eases pressure on the boat. And if you were to tip over, the keel will bring you right back up. Neither are true with a catamaran. If you tip over, you're staying tipped over, so you have to make sure you reef before the wind gets too strong. Now, Fountain Bejo, they have instructions where to set or at what wind speed to set your reefs. So they tell us to set your first reef at 15 knots, and we do. Then the wind picks up to 18 knots, and we set the second reef. Now we've been out about an hour, and we haven't caught any fish and decide to turn around and head back. Now, this is when things get really interesting. As we're approaching the big rocks we passed on our way out, we can see a dark squall approaching from the east. Ben and I spotted a water spot even coming our way. We could see it swirling winds over the water toward, coming towards our boat. The squall hits us with strong winds and rain pelting us sideways. At the very same time, we hear one of the fishing reels start spinning and Ben yells, Fish on! Oh man, what timing. I yell, forget the fish, but Ben won't have it. He tries to reel it in, but is having a super hard time. The fish is pulling out the line faster than Ben can reel it in. We must have a real whopper. The rain is coming down in buckets, but Ed has us under control, making the passage through the rocks. I go to reel in the line on the second rod and realize it's got a fish on too. I start reeling it in while Baron pulls in my hand line. And after lots of work, I realize that Ben and I actually have the same fish. We're reeling them in together. Then I see that my hook is caught on his line. And once we get that cleared, Ben's able to pull in this gorgeous, colorful mahi-mahi, the biggest one we've caught yet. I take the helm so Ed can go back and work his magic with a fillet knife. He comes up with two huge fillets as we're motoring into this postcard-perfect bay and anchor just off the coconut tree-lined beach with no one else in sight. I'd read about a hike up to the deserted lighthouse at the top of the island, so that was our next adventure. We swam ashore, this time armed with Ben's jungle juice. Good thing we had it as the hiking trail took us through the mangroves, swarming with mosquitoes and tons of hermit crabs. We climbed up the hill and soon came to the lighthouse and the lightkeeper's house. It must have been a pretty grand house. You could still see the marble tiles on the floor. The 360-degree view of the island is breathtaking. We spot Quadrigibi sharing the beautiful cove below with a small powerboat bringing tourists over for a day visit from Calibra. The next morning, we're having our coffee on the bow of our boat, enjoying the view and recounting what an amazing trip it's been. We've only got one more island to visit before our time is up. Before leaving Culebrita, we want to find the jacuzzis that we'd read about. We swim and hike over to the rocks and find a series of tidal bowls that you can sit in as the waves wash in and out. We jump in, and I almost get flushed out to sea when this big wave comes in and tries to flush me out. After bubbling in the jacuzzis, we swim back to the boat to cook up more bacon and eggs before our 15 mile upwind slog to St. Thomas. Austin from Dream Yacht Charters had, had told us about his favorite spot. It was Honeymoon Beach on Water Island just off St. Thomas. So we made that our choice for our last night on Quadra GP. This is our only day of no sailing as we're heading straight into the wind. We let out all the fishing lines, even though we've got another mahi filet in the fridge. We get tons of action catching barracuda, bonitos, and multiple mahi mahis. Some jump off the hook before we can reel them in, and others we throw back once we've got them on board. Cruising into the bay, we pick out our anchorage and set our anchor like pros. After checking the anchor, we swim around the bay and spot huge sea turtles with remoras attached to their backs. Even better, this cove has a beach bar that is actually open, so we dingy ashore, and soon we're celebrating our trip together with conch fritters, bang bang shrimp, and the best painkillers of the trip. Back on the boat, it's time for the sunset entertainment. Three beautiful fishing yachts come powering into the harbor with the largest in the lead. At first, the captain looks like he knows exactly what he's doing, but soon we realize he's not the pro we expected. Rather than anchoring, he backs up, weaving in reverse through all the boats in the harbor, Then he tries to set his anchor facing the wrong direction with his stern to the wind, making the family on a large cat next to him very nervous. It must have taken 45 minutes for all three boats to get anchored. With the show over, Ed grilled the last of our fish, I cooked up some rice and beans, Ben made a huge salad, while Baron mixed the drinks. What a team. The next morning, our last day, we squeeze in one last swim before weighing anchor and heading back to Compass Point Marina to return our beloved Quadra Jeepy. We motor through the narrow channel as closer friends with better tans and a lot more confidence in our newfound sailing skills. Despite our confidence, we're pretty happy to accept Dream Yacht's offer to send out a captain to bring our boat safely back to dock. That's the tricky part, and after keeping QuadraGP safe, we didn't want to damage her at the very last day. All too soon, we're out on our flights, headed back home, all thinking the same thing. We can't wait to do this again. There you go, that's the story of my latest sailing adventure. I hope you enjoyed this end of year fun. I'm headed back to the BVI this spring for the cat sailing with my family. And I just booked another sailing adventure with Ed, Ben and Berend. This October, we're going to new sailing grounds, the Grenadines, adventure awaits. All right, it's time to sign off. I hope you've all had a great year. I'm super excited about 2023, not only for the sailing and cycling adventures I've got planned, but also for the work we're doing at Beyond Trust and building our partner ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of great guests to interview. You're going to love my next podcast. I'm speaking with the global channel icon, Jay McBain. Until then, have an awesome channel journey.